you want to get out your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 is where we'll be studying from tonight. What's the difference between good religion and bad religion? That's kind of an easy question, right? I mean, good religion is what we do, and bad religion is what everyone else does, right? That's, that's kind of the easy definition. I was kind of proud to think that way, uh, but I do get that idea. Uh, if I didn't think that our methods of worship and fellowship were right, you know, I wouldn't be here. So obviously, uh, I do believe that we do the right things, and we, we're striving to do the right things. But as we look out into the world and all the people around us, it's easy, I mean, it, it should become obvious that uh, the idea of good religion and what's right is, is not an easy topic. Uh, this is not something that's necessarily obvious, uh, as there are uh, millions of people calling themselves Christians, and there are thousands of denominations that practice religion in different ways. Uh, so, obviously, it's not as simple and, and as clear-cut and easy as we might expect it to be, as we go out and tell people, you know, it's simple New Testament Christianity. You read the New Testament, you see what they did, and you try to follow their example. And it seems like that's the answer to the crazy uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of ways that people view religion and how to, how to worship God as a Christian um, and the, the crazy things that people come up with. But as we study together, we see that uh, there's a reason behind the divisions that are going on throughout the world. There's a reason behind the denominations that are being created. Uh, and I think what we're going to be studying tonight, the lesson as, as we study through this section of Galatians 2, we're going to see a major issue that I think leads to a lot of division throughout the world, a lot of um, differences between congregations of people who call themselves Christians and, and what, what leads to those differences and what leads to the separations. We're going to learn tonight about an instance of separation, an instance where there's a, a church split that kind of happens. And we're going to learn how Paul addresses that in the context of the Galatian letter. As we've studied through this letter so far, we've noticed uh, that there's some pretty difficult things in here, uh, that Paul doesn't hold back anything whenever he uh, makes a statement in this letter. He is very upfront about the things that he says. Well, notice what he says in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. It says, when, but when Cephas, that's Peter, when, C when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face... Because he stood condemned. Wow. Okay. Uh, don't hold back punches, Paul. You know, this is, this is a pretty profound statement. He's, he's said all kinds of profound statements up until this point, but wow. Uh, he opposes Peter to his face because he stood condemned. And here's the reason why, verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. 
There's a lot to learn as, as we study about this scenario and this situation. And, and Paul has brought up Peter in the past in this letter. He's made the point that him and Peter have a complete agreement about the gospel. Uh, Paul went to Jerusalem after preaching for 15 years because uh, there was a revelation made to him that he needed to go there and, and make sure that everything was lining up. And he said, Peter and James added nothing to me. Like, the gospel I was preaching to the Gentiles is the same gospel that he was preaching to the Jews, and there was no differences between us. And now we read of another story where Peter has come up to Antioch, and it says Paul opposes Peter to his face. And that kind of lowers our uh, perception of Peter. Who is Peter? Uh, how, how wonderful is Peter? I mean, we've been studying the Acts. Peter stands up, right? Peter's the guy who, who kind of takes the lead and who unifies the group and shows that humility uh, right there in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 2, he's the guy that gets up again and he is willing to take a stand. But now we see that Peter is standing condemned. He's condemned for what he's doing. Paul doesn't think, well, Peter is above any kind of reproach or rebuke because he is the one who Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to. He's the one who ushered in the, the kingdom of Israel and the restoration that we're reading and studying all about in the book of Acts. No, Peter is condemned and Peter is to be opposed. And one, thing, one of the things that Paul said earlier in the letter to the Galatians is this idea that I think he's bringing out here in, in chapter 2, verse 6. He said, as he was talking about going to Jerusalem and trying to understand uh, what they were teaching about the gospel, he said, from those who seemed to be influential in Jerusalem, Peter and James and, and others who were leaders in the church who were influential, he says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. It's almost like a little side note there. They seem to be influential, but what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. It kind of, it shows us that the there's not a hierarchy system in Christianity. It's not Jesus and then Peter and then the apostles and then the elders of the church in Jerusalem and then the elders of churches other other places. No, it's nothing like that. He says, those who seemed influential added nothing to me because, what, because the gospel that I was preaching was the gospel I got from Jesus. It's the same one. And because who they are makes no difference. God shows no partiality. God, God isn't drawn to Peter to love Peter more than he loves Paul or than he loves anybody else. Peter is not on a different level of Christianity and, and we ought not to hold him up higher than other Christians because Paul says God shows no partiality. He is not the greatest of men to have ever lived or uh, in, on any way. He's a great man. He's a wonderful leader. He's a, he's a righteous, it seems, individual who is teaching the truth and bringing in the kingdom and doing wonderful things. But in this case, he was wrong. And Paul says, I opposed him because he stood condemned. Well, what has he done? Well, we read that before Jews came from Jerusalem, from James, he was eating with the Gentiles and, and spending time with the Gentiles. But then these men came, and all of a sudden, he drew back, and he separated himself from them. Huh. That's interesting. You know, as, as we think about um, whenever things happen, you know, um, sometimes you just 
have new friends come in and you want to spend your time with your new friends, people that you know, people you associate with because they're much, much more like you. You know, I mean, you feel more easy, easy, it feels more easy to relate to these people because you're, they're so much like you. But this text tells us that he was doing this. He was rejecting the Gentiles and moving over to the Jews and separating himself and drawing back from the Gentiles because he feared the circumcision party. He feared the circumcision party. He's worried about what they might think about him. He's worried about uh, their, their feelings toward Gentile Christians and eating among Gentile Christians and maybe the way that he might be perceived if he were to continue to eat with Gentile Christians. He's worried about that. He's, he's afraid of maybe some repercussions, some kind of consequences that might happen. Maybe some kind of split would, would happen as a result among Jewish Christians and, and he doesn't want, he wants to provide for that. He wants to prevent that. So he separated himself from the Gentile Christians. As we read about this, it should just be fascinating to us, right? I mean, Peter and James obviously earlier have accepted the Gentiles. They've accepted them. They said, yes, the Gentiles are in Christ just like we Jews are in Christ. And they do not have to do anything else or anything extra uh, there's no additional requirements that are going to be placed upon Gentile Christians. But the fear of the circumcision party has created a divide. You're accepted by God, but I don't think I can be with you. You know, it's like I, I understand that we're all part of the same family, but you're that family that's over there that I don't want to associate with. And, and that's not really okay. Really, this is a picture for us of social pressure that can sometimes happen in society. Uh, social pressure happens in schools. Uh, whenever uh, you've got some group that's the popular kids and you've got the kids that are the nerdy kids and the kids that are the athletic and, and you've got all of these different kinds of people and you don't associate with those people for fear of losing the relationship you have with your people, you know? And, and that kind of social pressure is real, and it's felt really in school, but it's real in the adult world as well. It's real right here, where these Jewish Christians have come up, and they, they have the opinion that Gentile Christians are not the same as Jewish Christians. They should be placed over here. They should be separate and apart from us because we keep the law we abide by these rules and we eat only these kinds of foods and because we eat these kinds of foods we are then more righteous than those gentile christians well what's fascinating about this is they're actually the weak these jewish christians are weak their opinions about Food, make them weak. Paul, it's not just me calling them that. Uh, Paul actually calls them that. If you go back a few pages to Romans 14, in the first four verses of Romans 14, that's exactly what Paul calls Jewish Christians who have an opinion about food. He says, uh, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, 
but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgments on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The picture is that the one who refuses to eat unclean foods and and decides to just eat the vegetables to abstain from those unclean foods because they're holding on to the Jewish traditions that they've been brought up with all their life. Their conscience would be uh, violated if they were to eat the unclean foods. That person is weak in their faith. That's the way Paul talks about them. These Jews that are coming in to the Gentile region and have this opinion that we're more righteous because we don't eat, actually are weak in faith because they believe that God is not happy with unclean foods. They don't have enough faith in the goodness of God to accept these Gentile Christians and to to love them every bit as much as Jewish Christians. So they're weak in faith. And now they're forcing Peter who is strong. Obviously, he was eating with the Gentiles. He had overcome the conscience issues, which obviously he had. If you go back to Acts chapter 10, whenever he's first told to eat, remember this sheet comes down from heaven, and and God tells him, what I have made clean, don't call unclean. Eat it. It's fine. And God has made that very apparent to him. So he is now strong enough to eat with the Gentile Christians, but then the Jews come, and now all of a sudden... He has to make a decision. The weak, it seems, have forced Peter to decide, are you going to be with them or are you going to be with us? And Peter makes the wrong decision. You know, this is kind of an interesting situation to think about and to consider. What, what would that have looked like? These Jewish Christians on their way here, Peter sitting there, Maybe they have this weekly get-together and they're eating meals together and they're spending time together and, and enjoying one another's company. These Jewish Christians show up and, you know, why would we stop the, the meeting and, and eating together? Just let them join in. Oh, well, the Jewish Christians have this idea in mind that we're going to go over here and eat. So, and and, and we're, we're not going to be able to join you guys. Okay, okay, that's fine. Hey, Peter, you want to come with us? Oh, sure, yeah, I'll go with you. You know, it's like nothing, I don't imagine something explicitly was being said by the Jewish Christians. Those Gentile Christians are are eating unclean foods. Those Jewish Christians, they're nasty, nasty people. They do all kinds of unrighteous things that, that makes them different from us. They're just, they're so different. We can't eat with them. You know, they probably never said anything like that. It doesn't have to be like that. It just has to be this, this little invitation to Peter and the rejection of going and joining themselves to the Gentiles. That's all that it took. It may not have been obvious to Peter. It may not have been obvious to the Jews Uh, who followed Peter, we're about to read about. But the Gentiles felt the loss. They felt it. They felt the abandonment that took place by Peter going to the Jews and neglecting to be with the Gentiles. And it was known. It was understood. 
Look at the result. Verse 13 says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, the son of encouragement from Acts, right? He was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Notice Paul comes in. Maybe he was invited too. Remember, he's a Jewish Christian. Maybe he was invited too. And none of the Gentiles were invited. And he shows up and walks in and says, What are you doing? And he rebukes Peter in front of them all. You know, wow, what a statement. Why would he do that? Why would he rebuke them before them all? Well, this decision has led others astray. It says all the Jews and even Barnabas were led astray by this hypocrisy. So Paul doesn't take the Matthew 18 approach here. Remember Matthew 18 where Jesus says, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And then after that, if he doesn't change, you take another with you and the two of you or maybe three of you go to him. And then after that, if he still doesn't change, you get the whole congregation involved. He doesn't take that approach at all. Why not? Well, this isn't an individual sin. They have not sinned against Paul. Okay? They have decided to cause a divide in the church in Antioch. And all of the Jews who were in that group stood condemned because they have completely rejected Gentile Christians who God has accepted. So he rebukes Peter for being the leader of it all. He rebukes him in front of everybody. And notice this phrase that's in here. It says, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I want you to think about that idea for just a second. What does it mean to be in step? How is it that someone is in step with someone else? I think about the army, right? You got all these soldiers out there on the field, and what are they, what are they saying? Left, 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 right, left, right. You know that, you know that tune. Why do they do that? So they're in step with one another. You know, at the left, you better have your left foot down. And they're in this close quarters with one another, and they're all in step. Every single step, they're, they're right there together. You listen to it, and it's got this cadence to it, and it's just wonderful. The unity, uh, the, 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 the joining together to accomplish the mission. These are men who are from all over the place in all these different areas, but they are completely in step with one another. Notice he says, their conduct was not in step with the truth. Essentially, they're messing it all up. They've made their own cadence. They've made their own steps. They've started a different group to, to do a different cadence that's separated from the other. And this is not the gospel's cadence. This is not the, the way that the gospel is supposed to be. This is a different way that is completely disruptive to the way of the gospel. And he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. We know that word, don't we? It's throughout the New Testament. It's throughout Jesus' teachings. Remember, he always called the religious leaders hypocrites. 
He called those who were uh, eventually going to kill him hypocrites. A hypocrite is an actor. Someone who claims to be one way when, he, when in reality he's another. Okay? And the way he describes this hypocrisy is found in the end here. In, at the end of verse 14, notice it says, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. Pause right there, the first half of that. So you're a Jew, Peter. You live like a Gentile. How, do you, how does a Jew live like a Gentile? Well, you're not, you're not keeping all the religious traditions of the Jews. You know, you're not upholding uh, the, the religious traditional books and all the regulations. You're not offering up sacrifices in line with all of those uh, Jewish Jews that are, that are constantly offering sacrifices. You're not worshiping uh, the way that all the Jews are worshiping. You instead are living a life that's free from the restrictions of the Talmud and, and all of those Jewish writings, right? They had all of these rules and stuff. You don't listen to any of that. You don't study any of that. You don't follow any of that. You've been set free from all of that, and now you're living more like a Gentile than like a real Jew lives. He says, how is it that you are a Jew who lives like a Gentile? And you're now forcing Gentiles to live like Jews. That's fascinating. You're forcing Gentiles to live like Jews. Now, all that they're really doing is just separating from them, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like you're really forcing them to live like Jews, but in order to maybe eat the things. That, or not eat the things that, uh, in order to fit in, they've got to not eat the things that the Jews don't eat. They've got to stop living the way that they live. They've got to change things in their lives just to fit in with their Jewish brethren. And he says, you're acting like a hypocrite. You're acting like you accept the Gentiles, and then you're rejecting the Gentiles. Really. You're forcing them to abide by rules and laws that God has not forced them to abide by. You're making things up. Throughout this, we see Paul rebuking the Jewish Christians for separating from the Gentiles. And what's really happening is they're failing to submit. God said, I accept the Gentile Christians. They don't, they don't need to eat clean foods only. Jewish Christians said, okay, we accept the Gentile Christians, but they need to eat our foods and, and not eat those foods. That's not submission. That's not what's going on. And what's essentially happened is they've made food an issue worth dividing over. Food. That's the issue that we're going to have an opinion about, and we're going to bring about a division over. That's it. You have to eat this food or else you're not really one of us. We look at that and we just think, wow, that's so silly. You know, it's just so silly. Who would ever do that? Who would ever cause a division over food, you know? Well, let's talk about us a little bit. Do you see now why we have so many denominations? It's the exact same thing. 
We have opinions and we have restrictions that we create. And you know what? If you're not going to do what it is that I think you should do, then that's fine. I'm taking my ball and I'm going to go home. And I'm going to go find some people who do what I want to do. Because that's the way it is. And it's just, that's out of step with the gospel. Adding restrictions, adding laws, adding things that God has not added is out of step with the gospel. Forcing other people to agree with my opinion and to follow my way of doing things when God has not instructed me on the way to do things in this area. God has not said, don't eat unclean meats anymore. He said, all food is to be eaten and it's fine and and there's no problem. And yet they still want to have the opinion that those foods can't be ate. So, do you see how the problem is kind of continual? Whose opinions are we going to submit to? Weak brethren make up stuff, and they want to force strong brethren to, and say, well, if you don't do what I think you should do, then God doesn't love you as much as he loves me. God shows no partiality. God is not trying to create, you know, men and women who are proud of all the righteousness that they can come up with and accomplish. But now, of course, we could take a step back and consider there's a difference between personal opinion and actual commands, right? I mean, those are not the same thing. There is cause for separation. We see that in other passages. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is the separation happening because of personal opinion or is the separation happening because of true scriptural differences? Is someone truly rejecting the commands of God and so they refuse to submit to God so we're going we're gonna to go and we're going to do what God wants us to do? Or is somebody just doing something that I don't like? And is that going to cause me to separate myself from them? Those are two very different things. And if we want to keep in step with the truth of the gospel, we have to be very careful about a few things. First of all, we have to be very careful that we're not making up rules that God's word does not give us. There are commands in scripture and we are to follow those commands. And and there is great wisdom in a number of things that we teach and that we exhort and we we want the world to abide by in order for uh, there to be unity in the, the Lord's church. But We have to distinguish between what we're doing because we think it's the wise thing to do because we think that's what's we're trying to discern what pleases God. And maybe we don't have a scripture that tells us explicitly do this, but we're trying to do what we think God would be most pleased with. We have to distinguish between that and making a rule about that. God is not pleased with you if you don't abide by what I think is the most wise thing. (laughs) Well, you know, that's kind of stretching our authority beyond what we can really stretch it to. We have to be careful about that. And our goal should be to stick to the truth. That should be our one desire in life, is to stick to the truth. The Jews had made up rules. They had strayed from the truth. 
They decided that we're going to be more righteous because we eat these foods and, and we don't eat those foods. And, and they got away from the truth. We can't do that. I know that there's, uh, there's a truth about baptism. I'll preach it from the pulpit all day long. If you're not willing to be baptized to submit to water baptism, then no, there's no, you're, you're not going to be saved. I mean, that's, that's what the Bible commands you to do. You do that or you don't. And once you know that the Bible commands you to do that and that that is the point at which your sins are removed, that's it. You know, there's no, there's no arguing about that. That's not personal opinion. That's what the scriptures say. But I've been around Christians who have had a, a member, a visitor come in, and then they were baptized in a different church building, yet they claimed that their baptism was... Uh, seeking the forgiveness of sins. That was what they understood their baptism to be all about. And I've heard of members basically say, either you force them to be baptized in a Church of Christ building, in a Church of Christ baptistry, or we're going somewhere else. That's opinions. And forcing people to abide by that opinion, when in reality, your salvation has nothing to do with whether or not their baptism was for the right reason or not. You know, I hope that it was. It's on them if it's not. But it's not something that I should be forcing my opinion on other people about things like that. And I know there's a truth about that. And I'm going to preach the truth and help people understand the truth. And I'm going to stick to the truth. And I'm not going to make additional laws or rules or restrictions or force people to do things that make me feel better. Like circumcision, which is what this letter is really all about. We have to stop forcing people to conform to our opinions. It's not what it's about. I've known a church uh, that decided on Wednesday nights they were going to do Bible studies at members' houses. There were four, four members' houses in four different neighborhoods. On Wednesday nights, they were going to have Bible studies over people's houses. Churches around the area lost their minds. Lost it. What's unscriptural about that? I mean, it's just, we're going to make up rules. Because you're doing something that doesn't conform with the way that we do things, then you're now straying from the truth. Give me a break. That's not in step with the gospel. Do you see how that's not in step with the gospel? The gospel is more inclusive than that. And so we have to get away from this mentality that we're trying to get rid of people and start understanding there's a lot of differences of opinions in this very room. And... We can work together in unity. We can step in unity and accomplish the will of God, even having different opinions about different things. You know, the, Gentile, the solution's not for Peter and the rest of the Jewish Christians to come to the Gentiles and eat all of the unclean foods. That's really not the solution. The solution is what, what Paul said in Romans 14. Eat with them, but you can eat only vegetables. You don't have to eat what they eat. You don't have to contradict your conscience, but you need to be unified with those who God has approved of. And so we need to be thinking more along that way. And we need to stop thinking about avoiding people who have different opinions than us. We need to start thinking, how can we unite with people who have different opinions than us? Because that's what the gospel is calling for all of us to do. That is 
what God wanted. He wanted a group of people who are totally different from one another being able to join together in unity. And you know what? The world will know them by their love for one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't force people. It bears with people. It may be that my opinion is right and your opinion is wrong. Might be. But I need to understand that maturity is a process. And if you're not there yet, I'm still called to love you as my brother. And forcing you into that maturity could actually hurt you, and so I wouldn't want to do that. Maybe that my opinion's wrong, <laughs> and I'm actually really proud and stubborn, and I need your patience because we need unity. We need to work together to accomplish the mission. If you're here tonight, I hope that you understand the gospel message is not for you to conform to everything that I believe you should do. It's not the gospel message. The gospel message is the truth that Jesus has come to earth to die on a cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins and you can join yourself to a group of imperfect people who will love you as you grow and try to help you along the way. And we hope that you'll help us too because we need your help. If you're here tonight and you're not a group, a part of that family, then we want to help you to become a part of that family. We want to encourage you in any way we can. And we want to encourage you, if you are a part of that family, to come forward and let us know what your needs are so that we can pray for you and help you in any way. Uh, please come as we stand and as we sing.